Welcome to Wrestling Memories Online. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host, noted pro wrestling historian and author George Shire. You can hear Wrestling Memories Online at www.radionorthland.org forward slash wrestling memories glenn Broggett, along with george shire george on our last edition you were teasing that uh, you were working on a special guest uh, to the program and like always whenever you get the word out you have delivered and today it's uh, no exception to the rule let's just say and welcome welcome to the show george well it's always good to be back on wrestling memories jim and yeah i did i teased uh, when we did our dusty roads uh, tribute uh, last week when we taped that and I told you I had a surprise coming up, and we do. Today, we are going to have uh, someone that is familiar to everyone who watched AWA wrestling back in the 70s and the early 80s, and then even a little bit of the WWF into the mid-80s. And I'm talking about somebody that, uh, well, let's just say he was a high flyer. Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and he's on right with us now. Jimmy, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're excited. (laughs) You know, Jim, uh, I want to tell you, Glenn, he just came back this past weekend from the uh, George Tragos Luthez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. He was down there in Waterloo, Iowa. So hopefully, Jimmy, you'll share some things on that. And and then uh, we're going to talk about that great book that you've got out. Well, thank you, uh, George. I'm really excited about it. and we had a great time down in Waterloo. You know, my partner Brian Blair was a well-deserved honor in uh, the Luthes Award, and he did a wonderful job. And 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 all the inductees had wonderful speeches. I, I became uh, familiar with a um, a fundraiser for hunger called Headlock on Hunger, uh, originated by Bill Murdoch down in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and I heard nothing about it, but. Uh, this Bill Murdoch, who actually has done a number of books on some of the, the boys, Briscoe's, uh, um, Jerry Briscoe, and I think, yeah. Uh, Jack, yeah, Jack Briscoe's book was and Jack, the one and, that he did. Uh, did a wonderful job, and uh, geez, I had a little mind block there. I was I, pro- I just got done fertilizing the yard, so it might take <laughs> me a couple of seconds to get clear. But, yeah, it was a wonderful time, and, and we had a good time, and... Uh, you know, uh, Dan Gable came up to us, and we took a picture with him, and uh, uh, the fans were great, and and they were, you know, they're real serious fans down there, and, and we had a good time, and our table was uh, Larry and Irene Henning, and uh, Jim Rashke, and his lovely wife, Bonnie, and Mary and I, and and uh, um, Brian and Tony, so we had a great time, and and actually, uh, the, the event lasted, uh, well, the dinner was at 6, the program started at 7, and uh, it didn't get over with until 5 after 10. Wow. So it was a little long-winded, and, and uh, Jim Ross, who uh, does a wonderful job, just gets a little bit long-winded at some time. Well, that happens sometimes when folks get the microphone. They, they tend to get a little long-winded, but as you said, it was still a good time had by all. And you had a celebrity table. You're sitting there with Hennig and Rashke and Blair and then Brunzel. Wow, that's a Hall of Fame table. Well, it was sort of fun. And, and Kyle Klingman, who uh, runs this thing, called me up yesterday, and, and he said, Jim, he said, I forgot to introduce you. And I said, that's okay. I was back at the bar getting a couple of drinks for the Baron and I. <laughs> I was supposed to be seated by that time, but... Uh, I, I, you know, I, I thought, well, I, I'm going to get a little beer here before the event starts. And sure. I wound up waiting back there a little bit, and he went on, and I said, Kyle, don't worry about it. So it went good. Well, and you know, Glenn, I want you to know that, uh, you know, usually I do go down to the Hall of Fame ceremonies, and uh, I missed this year. We had different things going on, and then I was able to go, and then I wasn't able to go, and, and I do want to thank uh Jim Brunzel publicly because uh, a few days before the event he he asked me if I wanted to ride along with him and it just wasn't going to work out as we had uh, some friends coming in out of town as it turned out and my wife had a shower and so I mean it was just uh, just one of those things but Jimmy I did I did really appreciate that offer and uh, I'm looking forward already to next year and then uh, before we get into your book I want to touch on one more thing sure Uh, you are going to be 
honored next year at the Cauliflower Alley Banquet, and you're going to be honored along with uh, your high flyer partner, Greg Gagne, Tag Team Award. And tell us a little bit about that. You've got to be excited to get another honor like that. Well, I am because, you know, Greg and I really haven't had uh, much uh, adulation, you know, since the AWA times, and and a lot of that is because Greg and I really didn't, uh, other than about uh, two weeks uh, wrestling in 1975 in the NWA in Atlanta, uh, Greg and I, you know, outside of one stint in in Japan, didn't have much exposure throughout the other uh, territories, so... You know, it's always good, and, 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 you know, Greg's been through a lot with his um, his dad passing and, and some other personal issues, but I, you were going to have a great time, and, you know, Greg loves to go to Las Vegas, <laughs> so it, it'll be a good time. Well, I'm sure it will be, and when you say you didn't get much recognition, uh, I do want to point out that from about 1974 up until about 1982 or three. Uh, all except about a year in the late 70s when you were on your own down in Atlanta, the high flyer, high flyers, I mean, you guys, you ruled the AWA as not only the top babyface tag team, but tag team champions on two different occasions. And I, I got to tell you, I am a fan of tag team wrestling, and you know that, Jim, having visited my home, you know all the tag team photos sure. and things we talk about. But of all the tag teams I've seen through the decades, and I've seen many babyface teams that do the high-flying things, you know, Doug Gilbert and Dick Steinborn and the Brunetti brothers and just countless teams, you and Greg Gagne, you set the bar very, very high, and you didn't have a gimmick. I mean, you didn't need a gimmick like the Fabulous Ones or the Rock and Roll Express or any of those things. You guys were pure wrestlers. You you incorporated the high flying maneuvers and your matches were always uh, top notch and I never ever saw a boring uh, high flyer match so that's a credit to you my friend. Well, George, thank you so much and and actually uh, Greg and I and I'm sure Greg will feel the same way about this but we owe it to the talent that we worked with. Oh yeah. Because at that time, I mean. When you talk about uh, Bachwinkle and Stevens and Stevens and Patterson and, uh, you know, all the various combinations that work together, and, you know, Jesse and Adrian had a good team, and, uh, and, you know, everybody worked hard to have a good match. And uh, we were very fortunate, and like so many times before, I've mentioned that, uh, you know, being uh, groomed in the AWA spoiled me for this business because... Uh, once I got out and, and got to Kansas City and, and then went to, uh, you know, Charlotte and then eventually went to New York, you know, it was it was such a, a different atmosphere because everybody was trying to get over at sure. everybody's expense. So, uh, you know, once I was so fortunate to be here for the, those 10 years because everybody knew their place, uh, everybody worked hard, and everybody made good money. And everybody enjoyed the time off. So I think out of all the territories, and I'm sure the fellows that, you know, all the top guys that had uh, worked all over the country and had an opportunity to work here will agree that, you know, Vern's AWA was uh, a paradise to work for, especially in the summer. Because he only worked about eight or ten times a month. Yeah, it was it was a, a real sweetheart of a territory. The travel was a lot lighter. I know most of the guys I talked to through the years, they always say that that compared to other territories, when you were on the road seven nights a week, 365 days a year, and traveling five six hundred miles to get to the next town, yeah. the AWA was was definitely uh, a sweet place to be. And I know Nick Bockwinkel has said that many many times that. Uh, he enjoyed working here because he, he could really only work about six months out of the year. And uh, yeah. that's a blessing. It, it really was. And even though, you know, we did have a couple long jaunts, you know, to Winnipeg and then to Moline, but, you know, once they incorporated that uh, little flying coffin, that 59919 or that uh, <laughs> Navajo chief and uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, that paper that um, Vern bought, um, it really made it a lot easier, even though sure. <laughs> there was a lot of anxiety with the boys. 
playing. Well, and, and you know, all the teams, the, the guys you mentioned, you mentioned Nick and Ray Stevens and, and uh, uh, Stevens and Patterson, Patterson and, of course, you yeah. had Larry Hynemi and Buddy Wolf who were a great team yeah. to work with, I've got to believe, and you had Horst Hoffman and Baron Von Raschke were another team that you worked with, and I know you worked with the Dog and Baron Von Raschke and uh, the Valiant Brothers. I mean, you had so much talent, Lanza and Duncombe. You had a long-running program with them. And let's incorporate one of the most important ingredients there, Bobby Heenan. Oh, without a doubt, George. And, yeah. and as I mentioned in my book, uh, you know, talking about all the great wrestlers that I had the opportunity and the privilege of being in the ring with, uh, I consider Bobby the greatest talent, you know, all Absolutely. the way around. Because he, he had phenomenal timing, and he was just, he, he gave so much of himself, and and uh, it was just like a, a night off, and it was just incredible, you know. And, and um, he, he did that every single night. And then when he went to the WWF, he had three or four different uh, fellows that, you know, he managed. Sure. And he'd go out three or four times a night. And, yeah. and, and you know I, know, I know he made good money, but he didn't make enough. Well, you know, that's the story. I guess no matter how much you make, you could always make more, and it'd be nice if you did. And, you know, Jim, as we're talking about the travel, and you would mentioned the airplane, and we mentioned the long drives and things like that, I think that's a good lead-in to one of the primary reasons we wanted to talk with you tonight, because you have done something that very few other wrestlers have done over the past couple decades. There's been a lot of books that have come down the pike. And, and I'm going to say this up front. A lot of the books are, some are mediocre, some are good, some are great. But yours is different, and yours is great. And the reason I say it's different is because it's about the road stories. And that's something that none of the boys have shared. And I want you to talk about the concept. I've read your book, man, I love it. And I've read it twice. And it, it wow. is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, so give us a little insight into it. Well, George, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I appreciate that. It was, you know, a sort of labor of love. You know, I, I, I loved what I did. I, I worked hard every night. And um, it, it was funny, you know, because wrestling is such a unique uh, profession, pro wrestling is, and, and because we don't have uh, any <laughs> time frame in terms of the season, we go year-round. Right. And because in the very beginning we were in a car a lot and uh, there was just so many things that happened on a daily basis that, you know, normal people would not believe. So uh, through the years I had, I'd been to a number of different parties and, you know, people and we talk about wrestling and I tell them these stories and, and people would always say, Jim, you should write a book. You should write a book. And this they've been saying this 20 years so. Actually, in the last six years, uh, I think it was about five and a half or six years ago, Mary bought me a little dictaphone, and I would come up with these stories that I remembered, and then I I just, you know, audibly uh, put them on this dictaphone and then put them away. And then uh, over a, a course of, you know, four years, I had quite a few on there. So... I think it was about two and a half years ago I started writing these stories. And I started out with one draft, two drafts, three drafts, and probably did four drafts with each story. So I wound up and we condensed it down to, uh, I think it was about 40, 45 stories that was in the book. And, you know, all of these stories, there was only a couple off-colored ones that that I had to include because I wanted the people... Uh, the fans to realize, you know, that that some things that happened that were so spontaneous that you had no control of, and and I wanted to share those stories with the people. But uh, there were so many road stories that happened that uh, you know because you're on the road almost every day, for 365 days a year, so something's going to happen, whether it be in Australia or whether it be in Canada or whether it be in Kansas City or Minneapolis or Japan. So I, I got these things together. We we wrote them down, and then Mary, God love her, I mean, she for the last year has just been uh, putting these things together. And, and then 
thank God we had such an abundance of uh, great photographs. And I, I want to thank you, George, for filling in a lot of gaps that, uh, was my you pleasure. Know, you, that you contributed to. And then Mike Gratchner and then some of my own photos that people had sent me. And, and it all just turned out real, really well. And I think we have about 160 photos in this book. Mm-hmm. It's only 164 pages, so um, it, 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 it's a it's a real easy read. It's an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minute read. Uh, the stories aren't too long. I think the longest story in there is about Bruce Springsteen, of course. So, uh, other than that, um, you know, I was just tickled that it worked out the way it did, and I've I've had such uh, great feedback from the majority of people. I mean, we had one order we. Uh, we sold 51 books in about a day and a half. Now wow. we're going to order some more. And the fact that it's online and actually I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm going to do some stuff with Dave Lee from WCCO and it's uh, Minnesota radio AM uh, radio. And then uh, I'm going to be doing some stuff with uh, Jim Suhan, who has got a blog. He's a writer for the uh Minneapolis Tribune. So, and, and then there's Tom Bernard and Chad Hartman and Joe Sushri, and and uh, I, I'm just trying to build a little momentum for this. So, uh, I want uh, as much exposure as possible. So, you know, anything, and I appreciate uh, this opportunity to, tonight to, you know, uh, let the people uh, realize that there is a book out there. It's sort of unique. It's a small book, and. I self-published it, and, um, you know, it's available. Well, before we go any farther with that, let's just, uh, early on in the program here, let's tell the people, the fans, how they can get a copy and uh, get it ordered. And then also, if you've got any book signings or anything that are coming up, let us know about those. Well, it's available from a company called Blurb. And uh, the little uh, super link is www.blurb.com mm-hmm. slash B slash 6298-514-MATLAND, M-A-T-L-A-N-D-S. And that'll, if you punch that in on the computer... It'll show you a preview of the book. It'll tell you a little bit about um, me, the author, and then it'll tell you the, uh, this sort of con- uh, concise little couple sentences about, uh, uh, you know, the true stories of the real world of uh, pro wrestling as known as what I call Madland. And it's $25 a book, and then they charge you X amount of dollars for shipping, and you can get it in about seven days. So uh, I was uh, real tickled. We've uh, so far we've done real well. We've only you know it's just been about ten days that it's been available. So right. I'm excited. Well, I want about listeners that. to know that that um, I personally have put it on several wrestling pages on the internet, on Facebook, different wrestling blogs, things like that. Um, we've also, of course, I've been talking about it to everybody I know personally. And um, I, I definitely would encourage you to, I want, I, as I say, what Marty O'Neill used to say, run, don't walk, to get your copy. We'll post a link to, uh, to the page uh, after the interview when we post it online. We'll have it on our website, radionorthland.org, so we can get some of our, our listeners up here in the northwestern part of Minnesota to, to check out Matlands. And George, before we go any further with it, I want to talk about with Jim a little bit about the title of of your book, Matt Lands. Now, I remember when I was first starting to watch AWA, watching it through the Winnipeg feed, I remember uh, Matt Lands being, uh, for a while there, before the end of your AWA run, uh, your your AWA theme music. And let's talk about how that came together, because that song very much sounds like something that your uh, one of your favorite musicians, Bruce Springsteen, uh, recorded called Badlands. Talk about how Matt Lands came together because because it's the title of your book, and let's just talk about that that song. I, I was always fascinated by it. Well, there's no secret to anybody who knows me. I'm a, 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 probably a, one of Bruce's uh, devoted fans and have been for 40 years mm-hmm. uh, or more. And it just so happened that um, I had I had a band, uh, some friends that played in a band called Fragile, 
that were uh, sort of a cover band in the Twin City area. And I had written down some lyrics uh, to the music of Badlands by Bruce. Same same music and, and almost the same wording, except I put the wording towards my wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I created this picture disc with a, a picture of me on the cover on the, on the front side, and then I, I believe it was a 78 RPM. And then on the back side, it had all the lyrics and all the credits and everything. So originally, I, I got permission from Bruce to use his music at no charge, which was really nice. Yeah, that's huge. And I wound up, I think, getting about 500 of these uh, picture discs. And they were available online, I think, you know, are not online, but through the various wrestling magazines for about $10. And um, to make a long story short, they didn't get over very well. And then I had a mess of them left over when I went in 85 to Vince. And at that time, uh, Vince was having his rock and roll wrestling. And he had, you know, Cindy Lauper and Meatloaf and a couple other people and, so when I met him for the first time, I had this picture disc, and I said, geez, I said, Vince, I said, this will fit right up in your, you know, right right in your wheelhouse with uh, rock and roll and wrestling. I said, this song I wrote about wrestling called Matt Lamb, and the music is from Bruce Springsteen. So he looked at it and uh, didn't say much, and then I had heard that he had stuck it in the back of the limousine, and it was in the... Uh, early summer and forgot that it was back there and during the course of a week or two it got so hot in the limousine that it it turned into a clamshell and they used it as an ashtray <laughs> yeah it pretty much we leave something like a vinyl piece man that's gonna warp the hell out of it so yeah he, he found use for matt lands i guess for <laughs> <laughs> and he never used it I, I i had a feeling he wouldn't but uh yeah so it, it just it was sort of hung out there and you know, there. A matter of fact, I have I have people that have actually sent me the record over the course of the last you know five ten years, and uh, you know wanted me to autograph it for them. Mm-hmm. So they're out there, and you know uh, I I say to collectors that that record plus five dollars will get you a pretty good uh, cup of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey George! I just had to throw that one in. Uh, no, I do want to point out that as you talk about that Matt Lands uh, record, uh, for those that do have the book or, or plan to get the book, uh, Jim does reference it and has a photo of it on page one fifty-seven of his book, and uh, it's a fun album. You know, Jim, you were talking earlier about the travels, and that's that's the basis behind this book. It's the, the true stories from the wrestling road. One of the things that I have heard more than one wrestler reference through the years is they would say that we jumped into a big Oldsmobile 98 and we headed down the highway to the next town. And I found it really ironic that you actually have a story, one of the the road stories in your book, when you reference that you and a bunch of the boys got into a big Oldsmobile 98. Uh, it was Ken Patera's Oldsmobile that you were using. Right. And it just really <laughs> uh, struck me as funny because I've heard that st- that phrase so often. But, you know, I want our friends that are listening to know that uh, you always you always wondered what happened on the road when the boys were in the car, you know, heading to the next town, and, and four, five, six of them are in a car, and you're going for a lot of miles. You become very good friends. You have to because you're – you're you're sitting there in the hot car, sweating together, and and uh, you you know, and you're working together, and it's just it's got to be fun. But the, the road stories and the ribs that you talk about in here, uh, one that stood out, and I'm not going to reveal what it's about, but it's called a bowl of chili, please. And AWA yes. fans will love that story, that uh, that road story and the rib that's played in that uh, particular chapter. Uh, it's just so much fun. It involves a couple of the very noted AWA wrestlers, and uh, <laughs> it was funny too. <laughs> it was well, George. You know, like you say, we spent so much time in in a car. And here's the story that I didn't put in, and this actually happened. Um, I was in North Carolina, and Jack Mulligan and 
Rick McGraw were in the car with me, and we were just heading back from Charlotte. Uh, we were going to Charlotte, and it was we were going to have a five or six day break during the holidays, and I and I was going to go home, and Mary and I and the kids were going to fly up to Minneapolis to spend the holidays with our, our you know uh, family. So I'm driving down the road, and I'm going probably 75, and and I'm and the speed limit was 65 or something like that. And I'm uh, Don Fernoodles in the other car, who was uh, another uh, uh, fellow who wrestled down there for the mm-hmm. Mid Atlantic. And all of a sudden, I saw there must have been four or five state troopers, and they had the roadblock. So I'm driving down, and I thought, well, what the heck? So I pull over, and as I pull over, a guy comes up to me. He's got his gun out, and he says, get out of the car. So I get out of the car, and I says, officer, I said, what's going on? So to make a long story short, there there was a car that was involved in a robbery that matched my car, which was, a, oh, I think it was a 76 Caprice Classic. It was a two-tone. And, I thought you were uh, going to say an Oldsmobile 98. <laughs> yeah, no. No. Well, I had to get a Chevrolet because my father-in-law, Roy Aiden, owned Chev- Aiden Chevrolet. Sure. So make a long story short, this cop handcuffs me and said, your car matches a robbery uh, just down the road, so you're going to have to come with us. And I wow. thought, oh, shit. So, so they handcuffed me, and I tell you, when once you're handcuffed with your hands behind your back, you're pretty helpless. You can't do oh, yeah. anything. So Jack, <laughs> Jack Mulligan drives the car uh, and follows me. I post a $100 bail, and they said, uh, you were going 100 miles an hour. And I said, officer, I'll admit to going 75 but I was not going 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yes, you were. I said, sir, I won't. You know, I said, you know, I'm, I'm pleading not guilty to that charge. So they had had a number of fellows, because we were on the road a lot in the Mid-Atlantic out of Charlotte, they had this doggone law firm that uh, George Scott told me the next day you got to call him. So I call him, I give him $600 as a retainer. So they postpone everything. And um, then they have a court uh, date. So I go to this court date. It's in Stanley, North Carolina, a little dinky town. So I go to the court date. I stand up, and they said, uh, Jim Brunzel against, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is, Stanley County, Bob, you're going uh, excessive speed. How do you plead? I said, not guilty. Listen to this. The guy says, well, we're going to take away your license for 60 days. We're going to fine you $25. And um, we're going to charge you $25 for a court fee. So I paid $600 to this lawyer who didn't even come with me. Mm. And uh, <laughs> he, he took the money, and I wound up paying $50. He took away my license for uh, 30 or 45 days, and that was it. And I went back to the uh, Jim Crockett, and I said, uh, good thing that lawyer, uh, you know, I gave him 600 bucks to help me out. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but that was a story from the road. But I, I, I tell you, when, you know, here I am a northern guy, you know, from Minnesota, I had North, I had Minnesota plates on there. And these guys from North Carolina, even though it was 19, you know, it was 1979. But once they handcuff you, boy, you are at their mercy. So, yeah. But that's well, one story that didn't make it. Well, you know, and obviously I know there are probably tons and tons more stories that you could put in a book, and the book could just get larger and larger. And maybe there's a second edition down the road. You know, you got to keep some of those back there. But, you know, one of the things I want to do, Jim, is I want to let our listeners know, too, and I want to compliment you on this. Early on in the program, I made the comment that, you know, many times over the last couple of decades, there's been a lot of wrestlers that have written a book and they they tend to get into bashing fellow wrestlers or promoters they worked with, and they talk about how bad the business was to them and what they didn't get and who they never got a push with. And I got to commend you and compliment you that in your book, and if, if, if folks are looking for this, it's not in your book. You are a gentleman as you, you are outside the ring, and you, you definitely give a nice bright side to the business, and you're there to tell a good story. And it is really a fun book, but I commend you on, on uh, you know, just not coming about vindictive like so many guys do because, uh, you know, you, you did have a good time in the wrestling business. 
Well, and, you know, I honestly can say that, uh, you know, uh, through my 25 years or so in, in the business, um, I really, you know, I, I really didn't have too many uh, occasions where I was, you know, presented with somebody who, you know, really offended me or uh, I didn't care for. You know, I mean, uh, I didn't get really along with uh, George Scott because I didn't like the way he booked and I didn't like his finishes. And then, of course, uh, Vince, who right away I knew, I knew that he and I were not going to get along because I, <laughs> I, I sort of saw through his, um, his personality and character. Mm-hmm. And um, other than that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of strong egos in this business, and Vern Gagne was one, and uh, a lot of the successful guys that, you know, for years, you know, uh, maintained uh, incredible uh, hold on their position in right. pro wrestling. You know, right. they all had real strong egos, and you got to have a strong ego to really to be uh, super successful. So, you know, well, I, I, And I'm I glad just, you mentioned just, that. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. And and uh, you just have to take that aside and uh, go from that and and uh, more or less assume that from when you you know when you're dealing with that person and just say, well, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And you know, like they always say, if you don't like it, you can go someplace. Well, and and back in that in that era when you were wrestling, you know, there were twenty, twenty five, thirty territories running at any given time. And right. wrestlers did have the opportunity to pack up and go to a different territory if they didn't like where they were working. Um, unfortunately, today it's not that way. And you even touch on that briefly at the end of your book, how how the business has changed uh, through the decades. One of the other things that you touched on, and, I, and I, again, I don't want you to give away stuff from the book, but I, I, I want to okay. commend you for you touched on the drug abuse and the drug and the drug use. And I, yeah. I think that's something that uh, probably needs to be addressed even more in the wrestling business still today. Well, I agree because, um, you know, the older you get, the, the more you realize that whatever you put in your body, even though, you know, when you're young, uh, the old thing is you're, you're young and you're dumb. You know, you think you'll last forever and you feel... Uh, uh, invincible, but right. as time wears on, you know, and I think, I think that a lot of these fellows who did use, and, and I use drugs, I mean, I, I used a lot of those drugs, but I, I had, um, more or less, uh, a common sense because I didn't, um, I didn't allow them to dictate to me, you know, their usage. Whereas right. a lot of these fellows were, using multiple drugs daily uh, to enhance their um, wrestling career, whether it be steroids, whether it be amphetamines. And then the, the downside of those is they crank your body up so much that you need to come down so either you have alcohol or sedatives, and uh, it becomes a, a horrible cycle. And then, and then what happens is that you're you're putting all these drugs in your system and as time goes on uh no matter how strong you are you know whether your cardiovascular system is good or this or that is good it's going to take its toll and the problem with these drugs is your system builds uh, an immunity to them so you need more to get the same effect so that's what happened in many cases and that's why so many of these young, talented, superstar wrestlers, you know, passed away in their 40s. It's it's incredible. And uh, it didn't have to happen, but because there is no um, real official uh, governing body of professional wrestling, that that used to irk the heck out of me, you know, because they used to say you were an independent contractor. And, And the reason why you were an independent contractor is because... They didn't want to say you were an employee because if you were an employee, they had to uh, have benefits for you. And none of the promoters wanted to do that. They didn't even take out, you know, (laughs) 
Social Security or any, you know, state tax or federal tax. So you, uh, when you assume this uh, position of independent contractor, you had to take care of all your own finances. And the majority of the time, especially with the WWF at that time, mm-hmm. um, we paid for everything uh, outside of, you know, the air, air travel. So I remember in 85, 86, 87, and a little bit of 88, I had legitimate expenses of $50,000 a year just wow. on the road. Wow. So that's a lot of money. You know, I mean, you're and, and when you look at it, and, and it's funny because I talked with Ken Patera the other night, and... You know, when you're doing it, you think, wow, I know they're, they're working the hell out of us. And we're, you know, at one point, Brian and I went 43 days straight. And that's... I was that, just going to touch on that with you. Yeah. Yeah. And when you go 43 days straight, I mean, and you're wrestling every night, sometimes twice, but not only are you wrestling every night, but you're getting up and getting in an airplane every day. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a bizarre, bizarre, uh, you know, way of life, and I, I, I don't know how we all did it back in, you know, in the eighty-five, eighty-six, and eighty-seven when the uh, Vince was really, you know, really, and Hulk Hogan was the, the golden goose, and I mean, everything was just, you know, you had, like I say, you had three towns running every night, you had twenty guys in each town, and uh, there was no, there was no. Um, I don't know, what would you say? Continuity to any of the matches, because they didn't mean anything. They just, Vince shot them out there, and he said, these are my superstars, take a look at them, and the next time we come to town, there'll be uh, 20 more superstars that'll uh, be totally different. So there was no continuity like, you know, what I was used to and what the other, uh, uh, actually, basis of of the wrestling program at at various... uh, um, areas, you know, the different territories all subscribe to that. You know, they built a program and they built a match and they did this and they did that and they brought it around and then it'd either have a blowout at the end that either was a, you know, a, a cage match or something like that and then boom, then they'd start something new. Well, Vince never did that. I mean, his he'd have Hulk Hogan against Paul Orndorff uh, one time in San Francisco to draw you know, 25,000 people, and they'd have a match, and there was nothing, you know, uh, exceptional about the finish. And the next time we wrestled in the Cow Palace, it was totally, uh, you know, somebody different, and there was there was nothing there to, uh, to put a seed in the people's mind what was going to happen. So it was like a crapshoot every doggone time, but... It was. It worked out incredibly for Vince because he had so much talent that, and he kept using that uh, ability that he had because you know he spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on each one of his big you know main event TV shows um, that he just couldn't fail. Right. Well, I know, and you, you touched on that forty-three days with Brian Blair, and and then how it. You know, it's different than the continuity because, uh, you know, and you're right, back in the AWA days, every town, they ran a storyline, a program around the circuit, and you exactly. you knew what you were coming back to. They'd put a finish on the match that made the fans want to come back for the rematch in their town. And, of course, what they shot on TV also led into those particular shows, and it was really run differently. And most of the territories around the country in that in that time frame you know that's the way they ran their territory, and uh, exactly. TV was the TV was the boss. It, it told uh, where they were going with the with the programs. Exactly, and that and you know Vince totally threw that to the wind. He, over the course of thirty years, has uh, indoctrinated the wrestling fan to totally to what he wants them to approve of and become right. fans of. And it's funny because. You know, and and I've mentioned this before, and and everybody, you know, all the old timers, the guys that were in the business, you know, for twenty years, and they look back at this, and then they watch what they see on TV, and and they over 
choreographedness and, and and everything, you know, they do so much and it doesn't mean much and then they 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 milk the crowd with the, the melodramatic speeches and it's just I you know, I, I uh, like I wrote a letter to Vince thanking him for the opportunity, you know, to go and bring my grandkids and and the show was good. I mean, the, the timing and the energy that the talent showed was very good. And and uh, but at the same time, I'm watching this, and I thought, geez. I mean, there was a time when guys, you know, earned their spots, right. you know, according to their ability and according to their, you know, uh, time, you know, that they labored to become a a good worker. And then, you know, so many times with the WWE, you'll see these characters come on there and everything's over choreographed. And, and I can see, and, and I'm sure a lot of the old time wrestling fans can see the greenness in the talent that they have and they're pushing. And uh, you just, you know, they might be, you know, have they might have a real good uh, physique and they might be handsome and everything, but when you watch them, you just say, "Shit, that guy is green. He doesn't know what he's doing." So yeah, well, you're describing the way I look at the product today. It is different, but it's it's what it is, and it's making money. So we move on, and we had our time. You know, the other thing true. I want to touch on with your book, Jim, is you know you had mentioned earlier about all the fantastic photos that are in the book, and I want. Um, I want those that are interested in the book to also know that you share an awful lot in the very beginning of your book about your your own personal life, your family, how you got the name of Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and and, uh, you've got photos in here as a Minnesota gopher uh, when you were with them, and you talk about your years in high school and your high jumping, and you've got photos with uh, your mom and your dad, and and your yep. family, your kids. I mean, there's an awful lot of the of the personal Jim Brunzel. We've got a Jim Brunzel picture from age 16, and it's yeah. just there's a lot about the young Brunzel. Well, you know, you have to incorporate that. You know, you have to start out from the very beginning. I mean, I, I think uh, I owe it to people to uh, just give them a little snapshot of you know how I became you know jumping Jim. And you have to do that with your upbringing and, you know, of course, your, the nurturing that your mom and dad gave you and, and, you know, the fact my dad was a Navy, you know, officer and the fact that I was, I traveled throughout the country and I spent a year out in the uh, Marshall Islands as a young kid and, and that's a picture that's on the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really credit Mary to finding that because, you know, out of all the pictures you could use for a wrestling book, um, that is very unique because I, I look like uh, just a young little kid, you know, with a smile on his face and and uh, full of mischief, you know, sitting on a, a porch of uh, an island paradise. So, uh, and and I wanted to give people a little idea of my history and and the fact that I was an athlete and. Uh, I took pride in everything, and I worked hard, you know, uh, ever since I was a young kid. I wanted to be the best I could be at football and basketball and track, and the same thing carried over, you know, when they said, you know, you're not going to, you won't make it at the University of Minnesota playing uh, Big Ten football because you're not big enough, and I built myself up, and I made it, and I, I played when people said I couldn't, and then... Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, life's a challenge, and you have to you have to work hard to to achieve what you want. So, By all means. Uh, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And you know, and the fact that I, you know, like I mentioned, if people would have said when I was, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old that I was going to spend twenty five years of my life being a pro wrestler, I would have told them they were crazy. But it happened. Well, and you know, one of the things that uh, I'm old enough to remember all of the Vern Gagne training camps from the 60s on, and uh, every couple years when he'd put out wrestlers and bring them into the business, and I remember in that 1972 camp when uh, yourself 
and Greg Gagne, and boy, you guys came from a, from a championship caliber camp. But I, I had the honor of seeing you guys in your very first pro matches when you made your debuts, and I could see talent right away. And when you talk about that drop kick, that was when the drop kick really meant something in the business. And yours was as good as it got. I mean, you you got right up as high as you could get straight out and you nailed the, you know, and, and just made it look like, wow. And, uh, well, thank God I could jump. And I think somewhere down the line, uh, there must've been a kangaroo that came between <laughs> me because, uh, I was always blessed. And I, I remember I, growing up, I had a friend named Nick Hartzell who was six, four and we, mm-hmm. and he was six, four when he was in eighth grade. And uh, we'd play basketball together every Saturday. And I said, you know, I said, Nick, one of these days I'm going to be able to dunk. And he said, Jim, you're only 5'8". You'll never be able to dunk. And then soon I became six feet. And then I, I, I used to jump rope with these weights on my feet and, and, and uh, do all these biometrics before they were biometrics. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden when I was a junior, I could, I could put my, uh, almost my elbow over the rim. So uh, I was fortunate, you know, and blessed with the ability to jump, and uh, I used that, uh, and I, I really felt uh, very, very comfortable when I hit. Uh, I, you know, I could tell when I, I hit a number of good drop kicks, and I hit a number of them. And one fellow who really took a hell of a drop kick from me was Nick Bockwinkle because. He'd come flying off the ropes, and I'd hit him right in the side of the head, mm-hmm. and he'd go down like a ten pin, you know. And and um, uh, there was other guys too that did that. And then a lot of guys shied away from me because they knew that they were going to get it in the chops. And I always told them to turn their head and put their hand up there, but they still sort of box. But um, you know, I was you know I had about I guess a thirty-eight inch vertical jump, which was pretty good, you know, for a six footer. So. Um, I figured, well, you know, I might not be able to suplex everybody, but shit, I could drop kick somebody. Right. Well, one of the things too, and uh, this is the this is the the part that's, uh, I guess, I always look at the end result. It's the price you paid for being in the business, and you also cover that in your book. And you've got some excellent photos regarding some of the injuries that you've you've attained and. And you live through even today. You've got some uh, some things that still linger on. So that's in your book as well. Well, you know, George, I think anybody who spent you know over ten years, especially from my era, you know, all the guys, you know, I mean, they get knee replacements, hip replacements, shoulder replacements, and then the real, real sad thing is that there's been just an uh, abundance of. Alzheimer's and uh, oh, yeah. dementia, and uh, you know, in some cases, the ALS. And you know, I, I think of all the head trauma, you know, <laughs> that you 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 know occurred to you on a nightly you know basis, and you just think, you know, like you know, I love Nick Bockwinkle, and Nick has got Alzheimer's so bad, and you know, I remember a couple years ago he was fine, and then all of a sudden, I think in within the last couple years he's really deteriorated and then yeah. then you look at you know you look at mad dog he, he he died of alzheimer's burn died of alzheimer's yeah. red bastine alzheimer's so you know i i think that even though it hasn't come out but i think that a lot of guys in my era that that are in their mid-60s now you know time will tell but i'm sure that you know, come another five to seven years, there's going to be a lot of guys my age that are going to be suffering from dementia because you just can't take the abuse that we did, whether it be, you know, I mean, just taking slams or, or turnbuckles or, you know, in, in in Bobby Heenan's case, you know, just think how many times he was hit on uh, the head with a chair, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the price you paid, but you don't realize it. Until you get older, and and I, I, I look at a, a fellow right now who I, I I don't know very well, but Mick Foley, right. um, and I would say that he's probably in his late forties, early fifties now. But I would say within the next five to eight years, 
he might not even be able to walk. Because yeah, all he has sudden, trouble doing that now. I mean, you yeah. look at him, you could, it looks like he's in pain. Yeah, well, you yeah. just can't do what he did and expect, you know, the body doesn't work that way. I mean, and, and I mentioned that in there, that, you know, over a period of time, you know, you get injuries and pretty soon your body protects the joints by forming calcium to protect that area. And then when it forms the calcium, then it it, uh, it prevents blood flow and then you get pain and then and then you then you start on a downward spiral <laughs> spiral of having pain, you know, twenty hours a day. So, you well, know, you I do, think have, the more you do have a photo in here of yourself after your total shoulder replacement in December yes. of 2010. And yeah. I remember a story you told me. It was back in 2010, uh, right after your shoulder replacement surgery, and and I asked you. I, I said, Jim, how do you have a shoulder replacement? And you commented to me, Jim, that it was coming down on your shoulder every night after delivering those drop kicks. Yeah. And well, what what had happened, George, is when I hit the drop kick and I turned, I would lead with my left forearm, and my left forearm would hit the mat, and just like a a strut, on a, uh, it would push onto my shoulder, sure. and. What happened was over a course, I don't know how many drop kicks I threw, but I, they had to be in thousands. Definitely. Uh, it, 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 it kept pushing that joint and it got to the point where my shoulder joint looked like a ratchet set. I mean, there was, there was all different sorts. I, I looked at, um, and I had, I had three surgeries on it before I had the, the shoulder replacement. Uh, I had so much calcium deposit in there that the joint itself was completely worn. And uh, this doctor, this Dan Buss, who's the big shoulder surgeon in uh, Minnesota, wanted me to wait until I was 65. And when I first saw him, I was 56. And I said, Doc, I says, I'm in so much pain. And he said, oh, we can take care of that. We'll give you this shot and this shot. And then uh, he says, the reason why I want, to wait, uh, I want you to wait until you're 65 is because the prosthesis that we put in there usually lasts 15 years. And he says, by the chance that you hit 80, you might be dead. So he says, you won't, uh, uh, you know, you won't outlive the prosthesis. So I thought, hmm, that's nice to know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, good news with uh, bad news and good news. Right. Well, I, Jim, I, I want you to uh, tell us one more time. How to sure. get the book, True Stories from the Wrestling Road Madlands by Chumpin' Jim Brunzel. Well, right now it's available on Blurb, and the superlink is www.blurb.com slash B slash 629-8514-MADLANDS, M-A-T. L A N D S, and it, it'll when you punch that in, it'll go right to the blurb site, and you'll see this little uh, cover of me, and then it'll say preview, and you hit the preview, and it'll show you the first nine pages. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm real excited about it, George, and I I, I want to thank um, you and Glenn for having me on, and it's always nice to reminisce, and and uh, I love being on with people that love the the sport of pro wrestling, and uh, it was uh, a, a unique uh, occupation, and I, I have no regrets, and I was very happy that I wound up uh, doing as well as I did and, and meeting all uh, some great people who I still, uh, you know, cherish their friendship to the day. Well, and I guess it's us that want to thank you too, Jim, because uh, I know when you and I were talking, uh, when you visited me here a couple of weeks back, I shared a couple of things, how I became a fan with you and, and how things worked sure. out. And I think you get it. You were doing something that entertained every night a lot of people. And believe it or not, uh, you also kept a lot of people happy. And, and I can't thank you enough. I hope your book, Matt Lands, sells a million copies. And if there's anything else that myself or Glenn can do for you to promote it, you let us know. 
We're going to get the word out. Like I said, we're going to pass it on the, the website here for Wrestling Memories. We're going to get it out there on Facebook and all the wrestling pages. And there's a lot of other people that will be doing things with you. And uh, just continued success. And God bless you and Mary. Thank you very much, so much, for the, for the great memories. Well, thank you, George. And Glenn, thank you. And God bless you both. And we'll be talking down the road. Sounds good. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Good night. Take care. Jim Brunzel, Wrestling Memories. Uh, wow, George, the hour always flies by when we get ourselves uh, with such a, a top-caliber guest uh, like Mr. Brunzel. And lots of questions uh, were answered, but plenty more will be revealed in this great book. Uh, like you said, it's not a book that takes pot shots uh, about the pro wrestling business. It's more of a, a postcard from the past. Well, and as you heard, Jim, you know, on a humbler guy, you'll never, you'll never meet. He is such a kind gentleman. Uh, he's very down to earth, very real. The Jim Brunzel that we had on is the Jim Brunzel that wrestled. And it's also the Jim Brunzel that you'd bump into on the street. And he, he is just a great, great guy. And the book, I want to encourage listeners that this is an easy read book. You honestly can sit down with this book. And as Jim said, you could finish it in an hour and a half. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of content and content in it because there is that the road stories in it are phenomenal. They're interesting. They're funny. They're, they're, some of them are sad, but they're, they're just, it, it's, as he says, tales of the road. And, you know, when you all pile into that car and head down the highway and you're all sweating and farting in the car and drinking beer and stopping off and wrestling and then, you know, going back to the hotel and all these stories, and there are just some classics in there involving guys like Ken Patera, Wahoo McDaniel, Wally Carbo, Vern Gagne, Ray Stevens, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. I mean, those are just some of them. Ric Flair, Ken Patera, as I said, just a lot of guys that he tells stories about and with. But never once does he, does he bash or, or criticize anyone and uh, he gives us highlights in the beginning of his career. A lot of great family photos and, and uh, photos of him in his high-jumping career at the University of Minnesota and uh, newspaper clippings. It is a phenomenal book. The price is $25, and uh, as you said, we'll put the, put the link up on the Radio Northland site. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? When I hear about these road stories and stuff, it just boggles my mind. It's amazing that some of these guys even made it back to, to the hotel. I mean, there was some, uh, definitely through the years of pro wrestling, some notorious legendary uh, wheelmen. Well, and you know, the thing is, that that's the, that's the irony of it is many, many times during the course of, of wrestling history, uh, We've, we've heard of tragic automobile accidents that took the lives of wrestlers. You know, in the AWA fans here, we know Hercules Cortez coming back from Winnipeg uh, one night uh, going into Minneapolis and his car overturned and he lost his life. And a few years earlier than that, in 1965, we lost Leapin' Larry Shane coming from Detroit. He was scheduled to work in the Minneapolis card uh, on, a, on a Saturday night and uh, it was announced that he was killed in a car wreck. And, you know, down in the south, the guys like uh, uh, Jim White and uh, Sam Bass and so many others, I mean, and just countless wrestlers, and oh, I, I guess we're fortunate that it didn't happen more often. And Adrian Adonis, too, I mean, even more modern yes. times. And uh, the, the Bear Man, and uh, Pat, uh, was it Mike or Pat Kelly that was uh, killed in that accident? It was one of the Kellys, but I can't remember which one. I, 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 I get them mixed up. Yeah, well, that's because they're identical twins. Yeah, yeah, you can't but, help yourself. Uh, I, I know it was one of them that lost their lives in that Adrian Adonis accident. And, uh, yeah, that's right. You know, Harley Race had more accidents and more speeding tickets than any other wrestler, I think, alive. And Harley was, was notorious for doing 120 miles an hour down the freeway to get to the next town. And God bless uh, him that he's still with us and was never seriously injured or killed. Well, George, it looks like uh, we've went the Broadway once again. Never uh, a difficult task. But like I said, we got more wrestling memories. Uh, we come and go here. You know, we've kind of got this free thing. Like I said, the door open door policy is uh, intact. So every once in a while, George will come on board. It's always great when you add your, you bring your content, your knowledge, and your wisdom, as well as the great guests. No, I'm always excited to be on. You know that. I love talking old wrestling. And I'm going to throw this out to you, Glenn. I was talking with... Uh, a friend uh, just the other night, Monday night, 
Uh, we're taping this on a Wednesday. Correct. Or a Tuesday, I'm sorry. Yep. We're taping this on a Tuesday, but I was talking with a friend uh, just last night on a Monday, and I may have another surprise guest, uh, and this one is another big-name star. I'm only going to tell you that right now because sometimes they don't come through, but uh, I am working on another one, and uh, hopefully uh, in the few weeks we'll have, we'll have that gentleman on. Look forward to it. Uh, it's time for us to say goodbye. For George Shire, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories Online. Thanks for listening at RadioNorthland.org.